الحمد لله وكفاه وسلام على عباده الذين اصطفى أما بعد Yesterday we covered the eighth principle which was love al-mahabba and today we're going to cover al-rida bil-qada So yesterday just as a recap we talked about mahabba which is love We began by saying that Allah Ta'ala says in the Quran that وَالَّذِينَ آمَنُوا أَشَدُّ حُبَّ لِلَّهِ That one of the qualities of the believers is that they love Allah Ta'ala it's, It should be part and parcel of who we are as believers uh, We talked about how uh, there's different ways by which you can love something Typically for the average human being it's through their external uh, perceptions The five senses But uh, oftentimes it's our internal love that drives us to do things that we wouldn't otherwise do so that's how a person, for instance, can sit in itikaf in the masjid or spend an hour in salah because they're driven by something different, which is coming from their internal. Um, we talked about the ways by which we can bring the love of Allah Ta'ala to our hearts, the three, namely being knowledge, so knowledge of Allah Ta'ala and His attributes. Uh, number two, dhikr. The remembrance of Allah Ta'ala engaging in the dhikr regularly And lastly by spending time in the company of people that love Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala Okay, so before we begin today's section Just to recap how far we've come along we're now, We've now covered so far eight praiseworthy traits and uh, I just was thinking about this because last year we had covered the blameworthy characteristics. So speaking excessively, envy, stinginess, love of wealth, love of this world, pride, kibr, ostentation, self-admiration. And then this year we're covering so many praiseworthy traits. So regular, or so, so tawbah, repentance, khawf, zuhud, patience, gratitude, sincerity, reliance in Allah, love of Allah. And so we've covered so many of these. And uh, these are merely introductions. I would It's probably safe to say that since we've been sitting here in the last eight days going over these traits that we need to bring into our life, most of us have not yet brought it in. Uh, it's probably safe to say. We've covered the topic. We've learned a little bit about it. But this isn't something that a person brings into their life overnight. It takes time. And... It takes the company and the oversight of our Unaman, of our Mashaykh. So this is simply just an overview so that we have an idea that these concepts exist and these principles should be a part of who we are and that we should begin to strive toward bringing these into our life. But this is not the end point. So we finish the last session tomorrow. That doesn't mean that we're done. This is actually, that actually means that we now have to begin. Uh, the work actually now begins. Now, the, the, the principal way by which these traits actually enter into our life is through us approaching our anama, approaching our mashayikh, and asking them, how do I bring this into my life? This is who I am. This is what I'm involved in. This is what drives me. These are my characteristics. What can I do to become a true... Uh, how can I bring sabr or patience into my life? How can I be a true grateful servant of Allah Ta'ala? How can I bring tawakkul and reliance in Allah into my heart? How can I remove envy and hasad from my life? How can I suppress my hubbud dunya, love for this world? How can I control riyat, ostentation that, that's plaguing me? So this is simply just the beginning. This is not the end. 
and the journey in, it must involve people that can help you guide you along can help guide you along this path okay so the next principle which is the ninth principle which is uh, uh, contentment with divine decree contentment with divine decree now um, the translator translates translates this as arida bil qadr um, but then in other places it translated in, in, the, in the same as And I think the latter is better And I checked as well uh, with someone else Qadr more or less refers more to contentment with uh, predestination or fate But that's not what's actually covered here uh, This is divine decree So when that decree of Allah Ta'ala has come how do we be content with it? Not how do we be content with what's to come six years from now. So it's, so this is Rida bil qada. I think it's probably a better way uh, to understand this. Okay, so how do we, so we begin? Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, Radiyallahu anhum wa an. Allah ta'ala is pleased with them and they are pleased with him. So Radi, Rida, Ra. So Rida is the, is the uh, word. The Prophet ﷺ said, if Allah Ta'ala loves a slave, he tries him. If Allah Ta'ala loves a slave, he tries him, like he tests him. If he is patient, then he draws him near. If the slave is patient, then Allah Ta'ala draws him near. And if he is content, meaning the servant of Allah is content, then Allah Ta'ala chooses him. Okay? So you'll see this theme that um, if you're patient with Allah Ta'ala's test or with Allah Ta'ala's decree, there's that's ben very beneficial. That's a praiseworthy trait. The next st higher station than that is to actually be content with Allah's decree. There's a difference between being patient with Allah and being content with Allah. Um, he also said, Worship Allah Ta'ala with contentment. If you cannot, then there is much good in patience with what you dislike. So you see here, the Prophet is saying, Worship Allah Ta'ala with contentment, which is more than just I'm accept more than just being accepting of Allah's decree, it's actually being happy and content and pleased with Allah's <laughs> decree. So he says, Worship Allah Ta'ala with contentment. If you cannot, so if you cannot reach this state, then there is much good in patience with what you dislike. So Allah Ta'ala decrees something, it's very unsettling or uncomfortable for you, and you exert patience on that internal desire or emotion that you experience. That's the uh, that's praiseworthy but it's just not to the degree of contentment are we following yes okay um, he so Allah said to a small group what are you <clears throat> they said believers he said what is the sign of your faith they said we are patient with tribulation grateful for ease and content with divine decree Okay? We are patient with tribulation, grateful for ease, and content with divine decree. So the Prophet ﷺ said, By the Lord of the Kaaba, you are believers. Okay, look, these are things. We are patient, sabr, grateful, shukr, content, uh, radi, more or less. We've covered, this is the third of the three that we're covering. So we've covered the previous two, but you see this all being included in one hadith of the Prophet ﷺ. Shukr, sabr. And a ridha, okay. And if you recall what we covered with shukr, what we recovered with sabr, 
then it'll make more sense of what we're covering with Udala. If not, you can go back and listen to the audio about what shukr and sabr entail and then how that compares with what rida and contentment with Allah Ta'ala's decree is rida bil qadr. The Prophet ﷺ said, Allah Ta'ala said, I am Allah. There is nothing worthy of worship except me. Whoever is not patient with my trial, is not grateful for my blessings, and not content with my decree, then let him seek a Lord besides me. Only Allah can make this statement. Your boss at work says this to you. <laughs> You'll leave. You know, your parents say this to you. Uh, you might leave the house. You might, you know, your wife says this to you. You know, and that could be the end of it. But Allah Ta'ala, He can say it. Because He's Allah. And he's in charge and He's our master. Okay, let's go into this a little bit in detail now. The sign of love is contentment during tribulation. The sign of love is contentment during tribulation. A group has denied contentment and said that it is not conceivable in regards to what conflicts with desire. A group meaning there was a group from the Ummah of the Prophet that came later. Mahazali is referencing basically different groups of, you know, you can say people, or different groups of people. So one group had denied contentment, meaning ridat, saying that it is not conceivable in regards to what conflicts with desire and that only patience is conceivable. They came to this conclusion due to denying love, whereas we affirm it. Meaning there's a group of people who would say that, you know what, you can't be content. You can only be patient. If a difficulty comes your way, that means that your natural inclination is to um, is to be uncomfortable and unsettled. So if you're uncomfortable and unsettled, then exert patience with that. But you can't overcome that and instead uh, state or feel content with it because it's an unsettling emotion within you. But that doesn't take into account love, right? So if you love something, then that principle doesn't apply because love can uh, overtake anything. It can overtake any uncomfortable feeling. So he's saying that this isn't like, this, from our from our standpoint, uh, we affirm that there is love, and because we can affirm love, you'll see how a person can be content with the decree of Allah and not just be comfortable with being uh, uh, accepting, or you could say, patient with Allah's decree. Are you following? Okay. So he says, the sign of love is contentment during tribulation with whatever conflict with with whatever. Sorry. The sign of love is contentment during tribulation and with whatever conflicts with one's nature and desire. This is conceivable from three aspects. Okay, so Himal Zai is going to give three reasons uh, why. So, if love is, if love of Allah Ta'ala is what's driving you, or love in general is what drives you, these are three reasons, uh, three ways by which you can be content with the decree. Okay, so the first of them is that beholding love and love's extreme death, fill, depth fills a person with wonder to the point that he or she does not feel pain. This is witnessed in regards to love of created things and the dominance of desire and anger. It is such that the angry person is injured, yet he does not feel the wound. Right? If a person gets into a fight with someone else, you could have a bloody lip, you can have a black eye, uh, you could have a broken shoulder, right? you could have fractured your, uh, your, uh, the bones of your hand, but you won't know it until after the fight is done. Because you're driven by anger. That emotion's overtaken you. So uh, you don't feel pain. You don't feel pain. Uh, in fact, you know, there's narrations of the Sahaba, عنهم, like their anesthesia would basically be like Salah. They would enter into Salah. And when they would enter into Salah, they'd be in such a state of love and ecstasy, you could say, that they wouldn't feel pain of, for instance, arrows coming their way or stab wounds and things of that nature. This, this, so it's conceivable. You know, we think that. Well, how did they do that? Well, no, it's very conceivable. I mean, you can you can put yourself in certain situations. You know, if there's um, 
so he says, similarly, uh, the obsessed person's foot is pricked by a thorn, yet he does not feel it. However, if his obsession subsides and he attains his desire, the pain worsens, right? How many times is it where you're running away from someone? When you're a kid, let's say, like, you're a bully and you have to run. You run away. Sometimes you don't have shoes on. You get pricked with thorns. Sometimes you'll get, you know, you'll actually start bleeding, like, on the bottoms of your feet. But you don't actually know it until you finally reach where, you, where, where you've escaped them. And then you take a few d heavy deep breaths and you look and you say, okay, what happened? Where did, did I get hurt somewhere? Right? Um, you know, there's, if, if uh, they say that um, if you were to try to lift up a car, you wouldn't be able to do it. Right? Because you would be restricted there would be a certain degree of pain and physical exertion that you'd be able to endure uh, in any normal circumstance, so it wouldn't be possible. But now let's say that, you know, your child gets stuck under a car, right, and that you have seconds to save them. I mean, may Allah protect us from this, right? But let's say that happens. You will exert yourself to such a degree that, you're, uh, that you would incur injuries that you wouldn't be able to incur otherwise. Pain would stop those injuries from occurring, but you would be able, you would take uh, you would do whatever it took such that your muscles would tear, your ligaments would tear and rupture, you'd probably fracture some bones in the process, but you would do it because your love for the child would make it possible for you, even physically. So physically impossible things actually become physically possible when you're driven with some secondary mo motivation, love being probably the strongest of any of these. Um, does this make sense? Okay, if you can picture a slight pain being numbed with a little bit of love, you can conceive of much pain being numbed with strong, with strong, far-reaching love. Okay, if so, we we talked about this now a few times. What, what was our topic yesterday? Love, muhabba of Allah Taala, and we highlighted there. There was a hadith of Prophet that the Prophet said that if you love, if you don't, so you don't truly believe unless you love me. You love Allah Ta'ala and His Messenger more than you love yourself. Okay. So, if we we have a certain degree of love for our spouse, a certain degree of love for our parents, right? So, we would undergo a certain degree of pain for love of our parents. For our children, we would undergo a certain degree of pain. You know, if your, ch if your child fell into a pond or a lake, you would jump right in. Whether you knew how to swim or not, you'd just jump right in and see if you could save them. You'd undergo a degree of pain. So our love for them shouldn't be as great as our love for Allah. So if we can incur a little bit of pain uh, and numb that pain because of our love for our child, you can imagine the degree of pain that a person can, un can experience or be patient through or be content with if it's because that driving love is for the sake of Allah Ta'ala. Are you following? Okay, so I'll just repeat that statement. If you can picture a slight pain being numbed with a little bit of love, which is a love that we have for one another, you can conceive of much pain being numbed with, star, with strong, far-reaching love. You can imagine that you should be able to be numbed even more if your love is, is even greater. Indeed, both love and pain are subject to the increase in severity. So if Allah Ta'ala tests a person, that test is very, very difficult, and it can be painful. But if the love for Allah Ta'ala is what's driving you, then that pain is numbed. And you become content with Allah's decree. Okay. Following? Alright. Uh, let's keep going here. Okay, the second aspect. So the first aspect is that, okay, be, how am I content with Allah's decree? Because I love Allah. And if I love Allah and I'm in love with Allah, then I will be content with what Allah Ta'ala decides for me, for the ummah, for the world, whatever He decides, I'm content with. Okay. 
So now the second degree, the second aspect of contentment, which is the law, is that a person feels pain and naturally dislikes it, yet is content with it in his or her mind and faith due to his knowledge of the immensity of the reward for enduring tribulation. Okay, so now you understand the rewards associated with facing difficulty, right? It comes in the Quran, it comes in Hadith. How much reward is, uh, like the reward, for instance, of a parent that loses their child, it comes in Hadith. The reward of any difficulty a believer incurs, there's so much reward associated with it that that then becomes your driving force. So he says, the second aspect of contentment is that a person feels pain and naturally dislikes it because it's natural to dislike pain, yet is content with it in their mind due to their knowledge of the immensity of the reward for enduring tribulation. So I know that if I undergo some difficulty, my Allah will reward me beyond my imagination. In fact, there's no some of the rewards that, that people will receive in Jannah because of difficulty, you wouldn't be able to achieve those rewards if you spent your entire lifetime praying to Allah or spent your entire lifetime doing sajda to Allah or reciting Quran or you know staying away from a sin. The the degree of reward is comparable to the degree of difficulty. For me, for me to stand and pray consistently until I leave this world, it, there's a little bit of difficulty, but for me to have to suffer from some of the difficulties that people go through in this world, I mean, they're very difficult and very tasking. The reward is even greater, and this is the only way that a believer can receive this degree of reward from Allah, so Allah Ta'ala gives them this difficulty. Okay. Um, in the same way, the sick person is content with the pain of bloodletting and taking medicine due to their knowledge that it is the cause of healing to the extent that they even rejoice at the one who directs them to the medicine even if it is disgusting even if it is disgusting right so someone directs you toward healing you appreciate that this is what's going to be beneficial for me even if the process is very difficult right a person that has a camera uh, cancer and uh, and has to undergo surgery uh, and chemotherapy right surgery is extremely difficult on the physical body and emotionally it has difficulties and then chemotherapy is just this drawn out process of essentially suffering you're purposely trying to make the body physically suffer you're killing cells of the body with the hope that there's a better that, that you'll that you'll also kill cells that are that are hurting the body but the point is that this is extremely difficult but a person thank you Thanks the physician when they make the diagnosis. Thanks the physician when they, uh, when when they're undergoing that treatment. You know, you know, some, if I have a patient, and I, you know, tell them that sometimes it's unfortunate, but uh, you you see them and and uh, end up diagnosing them with like a brain tumor, right? They have a brain tumor that now needs basically a resection. Completely ill prepared, they weren't aware that it's going to happen, and now I'll tell them that, uh, okay, so this needs to be resected. So basically, this needs to be operated on. What you're basically telling them, what they're basically thinking is that, okay, so what you're saying is that some person who I don't know is going to gas me and put me unconscious for several hours. Then another person who I don't really know is going to crack my head open using tools that you get at like Home Depot. And they're going to manipulate my brain with their own hands uh, and then uh, possibly result in paralysis for the rest of my life. And then they're going to try to close me up and then I'll have to be in the hospital for two weeks trying to recover from this. And at that time, I'm going to be exposed to the risk of infections and the risk of uh, blood clots. And then what happens after? They thank you. Why? Because they're willing to undergo that difficulty as extreme as it may be because they recognize that there's a reward associated with it. And that reward is that eventually there'll be, there'll be ease from the difficulty. Okay? So they appreciate that. So what Imam Ghazali rahimahullah is saying is that so uh, in the same way the sick person is content with the pain of bloodletting 
right? It's painful to have your blood drawn or taking medicine due to their knowledge that this is the cause of healing to the extent that they rejoice at the one who directs them to the medicine. They're actually thankful for that difficulty, even if it is disgusting. Um, then he says, Likewise, the merchant is content with the hardship of travel despite it being contrary to their nature. People travel to sell their goods and it's difficult. The journey of traveling is very difficult, yet they're going to do it because they know that this is where their money is going to come from. And you can take any, any occupation for that matter. Some people, they work, you know, 80 hours a week. It's very difficult. You couldn't do it, but they do it, right? How do they do it? Because there's a reward at the end. They have to get their paycheck at the end of the day. Some people have very difficult jobs, you know, and I don't mean to pick on anyone, but like telemarketing, and it's a very tough, it's, a tough, right? it's one of the worst occupations they, they say, but you know what? A person endures those that six hours of difficulty and, and they do it, right? Because they know that there's a reward that comes from that. So says, the likes of this is also witnessed in regards to the you know, basically mundane matters of this world. So how can it be denied in regards to eternal happiness? So if you know that there's going to be reward because you undergo a very difficult surgery or reward because you take on an occupation that is very challenging, well, wouldn't you expect then that if Allah Ta'ala puts you with difficulty in this world, the reward in Jannah will be, will be extreme. It will be extreme. So this becomes a driving force. So now I'm content with this divine decree. So the first, remember we said, the, in the first case, you're content with your with divine decree because it's coming from Allah and because you love Allah, you say, I love Allah and I'm content with whatever my Allah decides. So that's one reason to be content. The second reason to be content is because I'm content because my Allah will reward me in the hereafter for this difficulty. Okay? So that's the second reason that we're content. The third aspect is that a person believes that Allah Ta'ala has a subtle wisdom or better yet, subtle wisdoms, plural, behind every wondrous thing. This removes from their heart any objection through asking why or how, such that he does not wonder at whatever happens in the world by way of what the ignorant person might regard as uh, obfuscation, confusion, and deviation from what is right. So this third idea is that uh, I am content, not because I love my Allah, not, I am content not because I feel like I will, because I know I will be rewarded in the hereafter. In this case, I am content because I realize that Allah knows what's best. So I'm going to be content. That's the third reason you'll be content. So he says, um, this person knows that his wondering of why resembles that of Musa salam, about Khidr uh, salam, when he damaged the orphan's boat killed a young boy and rebuilt the wall as mentioned in Surah Al-Kahf when Al-Khidr revealed that the secret of what he had been made privy to uh, when he revealed to Musa salam, the secret of why these things had happened Musa salam, the wonder of Musa salam, subsided his wonder was based on what had been hidden from him, from him of these secrets and thus are Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's actions the whole story of Musa salam, is so that the believer can understand or the human beings can understand that Allah Ta'ala has a plan. When He executes that plan, we don't have to ask the why or how how or why. Rather, we accept that Allah Ta'ala has a wisdom that's beyond our understanding. And that is what makes us content. That Allah Ta'ala has a plan that's better than our plan. Right? So this you can apply on so many levels. You know, you can take for instance, uh, the Sahaba radiallahu anhum. They are people who Allah Ta'ala says in the Quran, He is pleased with them. Right? Radiallahu anhum. Allah is pleased with them. Um, they were the elite but they were involved in certain, some Sahaba were involved in certain sins that you and I to this day have not been involved in. 
right? Some in Sahaba, for instance, were involved in the sin of, of consuming alcohol, right? They would drink very heavily. Um, so how could you, you could say, well, they're like my role model. They're my guide. I mean, I look at them and Allah is pleased with them. And I'm not, not per, se, per se involved myself in this sin. You know, there, are sahab, there was a Sahabi, there are Sahaba who were involved in zina, right? Like zina, full out zina. And so you say, well, okay, let's say I haven't been involved in that, but these are my, the Sahaba. How could they be involved in these things, right? So the, the wisdom behind this is that we wouldn't know how as a community or as an individual to respond to these sins if Allah Ta'ala didn't put that difficulty onto these companions, right? It's, there's a subtlety there, meaning... Yeah, they involved. They were involved in that, but it was for the benefit of the rest of the ummah until the end of time to know what are the ramifications, what are the consequences of these things. How should a community respond? How should a person respond when they know people that are involved in these? We wouldn't know these things if it wasn't that the Sahaba themselves had participated in it. Okay, so that's how we appreciate the difficulties the Sahabas endured, and they're in this situation. Obviously, they endured difficulties when it comes to difficulties placed on them in terms of. You know, I don't know, you could say difficulties of this world, like you lose a child or the Prophet lost his child. But then there was also these difficulties of sin, and you think there's no way there were Sahaba that were involved in sin. So we reconcile that by appreciating that, look, the only way, the, the purpose of Sahaba were sent around the Prophet as a form of education for the rest of the Ummah until the end of time. So they had, we had to be educated on how to handle, how to strive toward things that are good, and then how to stop and respond to things that are not so good. So as a result, the Sahaba underwent this difficulty. So we, we appreciate the wisdom that's been used in this regard. Are you following? Um, you know, similarly, uh, someone can say, okay, well, uh, you know, a child uh, suffers from or is diagnosed with like leukemia and they, they die when they're six or seven years old, right? Now, you can always ask the question of why and why and why but there could be many wisdoms of Allah that we don't actually know. I mean, it could be that this child would have grown and by the age of 16, they would have left Iman and left this deen and then they would have left this world had they, had they not been taken away when they were five or six, where any child who passes away is guaranteed Jannah. There's no questioning for the child, right? There's a guarantee of Jannah. Anyone who's a adult is not guaranteed Jannah. Certainly, if a person leaves Iman, they are not going to Jannah. So... If Allah Ta'ala takes away a child at a very young age, it's possible that that child actually would have gone on to, be, to, uh, to enter into a state of kufr when they were 15 or 20. And if they had passed away in a state of kufr, it, trust me, I mean, as a parent, uh, you know, inshallah, we never have to experience this. It'd be far better to, to lose our child at a young age as a ch when they're still a child than for us to lose our child uh, you know, when, when they're now uh, 30 and without a state of Iman. They'd be better off the first way. As difficult as it may seem, the difficulty of losing a child uh, who doesn't have Iman is far greater. It's far greater because at least in the, in the hereafter, you can, you'll be rejoined with your child, right? You can see them again. You can spend actually, in this world, the most time you can spend with your child is 80 years. And that, that's like a record. 40 years with one child. In Jannah, you can actually spend, you know, a thousand years with them in Jannah. So you'll always be reconnected with your child, right? So, but on the other hand, if your child loses Iman, you will not be reconnected with them, right? And so, um, so anyway, Allah Ta'ala has wisdoms for every little thing. And, and so we don't appreciate it up front, but we don't know what the future holds for any given situation. And so we have to be accepting of Allah's decree and appreciate that Allah Ta'ala has what's best in mind for us. We don't know. We just don't know. Um, 
it's possible that that child would have grown up and been disobedient to us. Okay, and then, then Allah Ta'ala would have tested, then Allah Ta'ala would have questioned them about disobedience to their parents. You know, the child left at a younger age, they wouldn't be questioned. They'll just go to Jannah, you'll, you'll see them in Jannah, inshallah. And it's obviously easier said than done, but, but if we understand these principles, then maybe we will stop asking the why. So he says, Whoever is certain about the likes of these secrets does not wonder at Allah Ta'ala's actions, but rather wonders at his own ignorance. Okay, so we don't wonder why did Allah do this. We wonder, wow, I'm so ignorant that I can't appreciate Allah's wisdom for why He did this. That's just my ignorance. He or she does not say, quote, why. Right? We talked about this yesterday. He does not say, quote, why or, quote, how. He is pleased with whatever Allah has planned in His dominion. Okay, so how do we? How are we content with Allah's decree? Or how? What are the different ways by which we can be? Con I shouldn't say. What are the different reasons we are content with Allah's decree? Number one, it's because we are content because I love my Allah and if Allah decreed this, it's my, I'm, I'm blinded by my love for Him so I'm content with whatever He decides. Number two, it's that I'm content because what Allah Ta'ala has a high reward in store for anyone that, that accepts and is content with His decree. So I'm content with His decree because of the reward I'm going to receive. And the third is that I'm content with His decree because His decree is such that it has what's best in mind for me and there's a wisdom behind it that I don't actually fully understand at this point in my life. Okay, let's move on. The next section, which is actually the last section that he's going to cover, the meaning of contentment with Allah's decree. So what, is, what, is exact, what exactly does it mean to have contentment which is which, with Allah's decree? So he says, likewise, you should not think that the meaning of contentment with divine decree is abandoning supplication or dua, or abandoning medical treatment, or leaving the arrow that is shot at you to hit you while you have the ability to block it with a shield. Right? So it's not going to, it doesn't preclude making dua. It doesn't preclude abandoning medical care when you're sick or ill. It doesn't preclude dodging an arrow or someone else has come, something else is going to come your way. It doesn't preclude these things. Rather, Allah Ta'ala has obligated you to supplicate in order to thereby extract from you pure, sorry, Allah Ta'ala has obligated you to supplicate in order to thereby extract from you, from your heart, pure remembrance humility and softness so that you are prepared to receive subtle insights and spiritual illumination okay so uh, we we don't do we do as we're told not as we want to do we do as we're told so we can't just say that you know what because i'm content with allah's decree i'm not going to seek medical treatment because in my mind that's what i'm supposed to do no we do what we're told you know because uh, i'm content with what allah ta'ala has decreed then i am uh, going to stop making dua because whatever Allah Ta'ala wills and He wills and why do I need to ask for Allah? We don't do what we think. We're supposed to do what we're told and we're told what to do by Allah and His Messenger We're told in the context of what ridha' bil qada means. We're told in that context how you're supposed to act. So we act in that way. We don't act however our mind tells us that we should act in our understanding of what ridha' bil qada actually means. That's what he's saying. Um, Amid contentment with his decree is that a person seeks to seeks means to what he loves through pursuing whatever he made a means to it. It also involves abandoning the causes of opposition to his beloved and conflict with his pleasure. Thus, it is not from contentment that a thirsty person refrains from extending his hand to cold water, claiming that he is pleased with thirst, which is Allah's decree. Right? So you're thirsty, right? And now you're thirsty. You could say, 
I'm not gonna drink. I'm just gonna sit here because Allah Ta'ala decreed for me to be thirsty, so why should I drink or why should I eat? Because this is Allah's command, this is His decree. But that's against the Sunnah. That's against the Sunnah of Allah and the Sunnah of the Prophet. He says, to the contrary, it is from Allah Ta'ala's decree and His love that thirst is relieved with water. He created this mechanism to relieve this difficulty, so you have to pursue those avenues. You can't just sit and do nothing. You have to pursue those avenues because this is how Allah Ta'ala designed this world. He wants you to do this. Um, you know, you can't say that. Uh, you know, somebody has to go to the bathroom, right? Like your 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 bladder's now full. You can't just sit and say, "I'm just not going to go to the bathroom. I'm just going to sit here." And you know, Allah Taala has decreed this for this to happen. You know, you'll be kicked out of the masjid. That's what will happen. Uh, to the contrary, it is from Allah Taala's decree and His love that thirst is relieved with water. Nor is that which entails transgressing the bounds of sacred law sharia or leaving off concern for Allah Ta'ala's sunnah in the first place from contentment with divine decree. Okay, let me go back to this for a second. So we, we accept Allah Ta'ala's decree, we accept Allah Ta'ala's decree, but we still have to follow the sunnah of the Prophet in how to um, best, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, Apply, I guess you can say, it, it, to best apply ourselves in that context. I remember I had a, uh, we were in high school, I had a friend who, uh, it was partly a joke, but it was partly actually our own just ill understanding of what Rabat bil Qadat means, right? <laughs> so, you know, we, uh, we used to have, like, we have an exam come again and be like, you know, inshallah we'll do well. He said, yeah, inshallah we'll do well, inshallah we'll do, we'll do poorly. <laughs> I'm like, what do you mean? He said, what do you mean? Allah will. If Allah wills to do well, we'll do well. If Allah wills to do bad, we'll do bad. You know, inshallah we'll be here tomorrow. Inshallah we won't be here tomorrow. <laughs> That's like the approach. It was partly in jest, right? But uh, but actually at the time I was like, yeah, yeah, you're actually kind of right. You know, <laughs> no, but no, but but it doesn't preclude us from wanting what what in our mind is good for us. So if, for instance, doing well on an exam we think is good, we still have to make the off for that and not say, ya Allah. Uh, you know, let me do well, yeah, Allah, let me do poor, whatever whatever you want. We still have to follow the sunnah of Allah, which is the successes by, for instance, academic advancement. That's just the principles of the universe. You know, uh, yeah, Allah, if you're sick, we ask that Allah Ta'ala grant us shifa. Now, if Allah Ta'ala chooses to withhold that from us, then we accept His decree and we're content with it because we don't understand the wisdom. The reason we're making dua is not solely because we are hope, we're begging that Allah cures us, and if He doesn't cure us, then we're done. We're begging that Allah cures our family members, if He doesn't cure our family members, then we're, we're done. And we, Allah Ta'ala has got this wrong no it's because the prophet told us to make dua in this sort of circumstance so then we make dua we do as we're told not as we think we should do okay so he says even in the matters of transgressing against the bounds of sacred law or leaving off concern for allah ta'ala sunnah you know you could say that um at this moment allah ta'ala has decreed me to smoke this joint so i'm going to smoke this joint you know, at this moment, Allah Ta'ala has decreed me to drink this. So I'm going to drink this. You know, you have haram food in front of you. You know what? This is, this is what Allah has put before me. This is Allah's decree. So I'm just going to accept Allah's decree and participate in the sin. No, sin is sin. Right? We, this, he's saying, to, to the contrary, is a, nor uh, is that which entails transgressing the bounds of the sharia. So the sharia says you stay, stay away from things. You stay away from it. And if it happens, then you do tawbah from it. These, this is how we exercise uh, our understanding of the sunnah. Um, same thing with you know okay, uh, you know you, you get into a fight with your wife and you yell you start yelling at your wife and after the fact you say you know it's Allah's will I just had to fight with you Allah Taala wrote it that way no it's not the approach trust me that's not the way to win it doesn't matter how faithful your 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 wife you know so how deep your your wife's faith in Allah Taala is or or vice versa or your parents this doesn't work that way uh, we accept our consequences. Um,
so this applies to the Sharia, this applies to leaving the Sunnah as well. So the Sunnah of the Prophet there's a certain Sunnah. So we don't leave the Sunnah saying that this is, this is Allah's, Allah's decree. You know, I'm, I'm going to leave the Sunnah of, uh, you know, whatever. I, I, pick, pick a Sunnah, okay? Um, to the contrary, its meaning is to abandon all opposition to Allah Ta'ala outwardly and inwardly while exerting the utmost effort to connect oneself with Allah Ta'ala's beloved servants through his through keeping his commands and desisting from his prohibitions. Okay, so this is what Amal Zadi is concluding with. Now, just a couple of summary points, not summary points, additional points that he doesn't, he, he alludes to it, but um, we're not going through the text per se. People often ask, well, what is it, why is it that Allah Ta'ala uh, why is it that Allah Ta'ala tests me, right? There's two possibilities. The ulama say there's two main possibilities that a person can be tested by Allah. The first possibility is that, and we tend to, the ulama tend to feel that uh, this is, these are most of the tests, and then less of the tests are the, are the second way. The first, so the first way is that I've transgressed against Allah, and so this, let's say this is my iman, right? And I, now I've transgressed against Allah and I'm involved in sin, so I'm now dipping down in this way. Now, I need to come back up here. Now, if I'm, to, if I'm dipping down and I need to come back up here, I need to put in that much more effort to come back up here. So it might take me a long time to reach back to where I am. So Allah Ta'ala sends me a difficulty and a test. And when you dip down because of your sin, Allah Ta'ala sends a difficulty, and then you can quickly come right back up to your level. So it's a lot quicker for you to reach your stable level of iman that you were at previously but that you had dipped off of because of some sins that you performed or a sin or a bad habit that you were involved in that's possibility one okay possibility two is that you're actually steady in your iman or actually maybe you're steadily increasing in your iman so now Allah Ta'ala sends you a test because his desire is to have you elevate in your station to him quickly like it for me to get from here to here it would take me an x amount of time but if Allah Ta'ala tested me, I could get to, sorry, from here to get here to here. Mm. Okay. So it would take time to get here. But if Allah Ta'ala tested me, I could jump quickly. It's like taking the ladder in this, was it snakes and ladders game, right? A sin can drop you off very quickly, but um, a, a difficulty can bring you up very quickly as well. So you quickly shoot up. And then once you're already here, now another test comes your way, and then you shoot up even quicker. So this is why the prophets, alayhi wasalam, were the most tested people, because their rank was elevating quicker than anyone else's rank. And the awliya of Allah, the people that are very close to Allah, they, we know, undergo the most tests. They undergo the most tests. Why? Because Allah Ta'ala is constantly elevating their rank. Some of the tests that I know my teachers have gone through, I couldn't imagine myself going through. I couldn't imagine anybody in the community going through. But Allah Ta'ala was elevating their rank. Now, were they involved in a sin? Like, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Maybe they were involved in a sin and this is what Allah's way was. I don't know. But at least at face value, there, there was no apparent sin. Uh, in fact, it was, there was goodness coming from them. And then they undergo this difficulty and they're elevated. And we see this throughout history. Okay? So, um, this, uh, so those are the two main reasons that Allah Ta'ala tests us. Now, in both situations, the response is still going to be the same. So it isn't up to us to figure out, well, was it that sin that I committed? You know, I'm such a bad person. And look, Allah Ta'ala is just punishing me in this life and I'm going to get punished in the hereafter. And, or is it up to, it's not necessarily up to us to decide, well, you know, was it a sin? Or was it because Allah Ta'ala is testing me so that I get better? The response is going to be the same. And that response is going to be two things. Uh, one is that I'm going to immediately do tawbah to Allah because there's a possibility that this test came because of something I did wrong. So I just do tawbah to Allah. Uh, and remember, we mentioned before that our tawbah to Allah is for sins, but our tawbah to Allah can also be because we took a long time in to progress to Allah. Do you remember the first day we covered that one degree of tawbah is to do tawbah because you were supposed to elevate in your rank with Allah, but it took you longer than it should have. You should have re elevated quickly. It took you a long time, so you do tawbah for that purpose. So 
You understand how tawbah would apply for both types of tests? So you do tawbah to Allah Ta'ala. You don't have to harp over why, 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 why. Just do tawbah to Allah and whatever, Allah, whatever you're involved in, ask Allah to forgive you. So that's the first. And then the second thing that you do in any test is that you exert patience and, you, and you're content with Allah's decree. So the response is more or less going to be the same. So you don't have to harp over why, 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 why. Just do, you do this and you move on. And Allah Ta'ala will elevate you, whether it be bring you from rock bottom to your new basal, to your baseline level, or elevate you from your baseline level to some very high maqam. Okay, so that's the reason for tests. Um, this is a lengthy, obviously a lengthy topic, but that's just a summary of that. The last thing that I wanted to just quickly bring up is that there, that we don't negate that there's also a psychological component to this. So um, sometimes uh, thoughts pop up in our mind, and those thoughts are contrary to what our belief in Allah is. Okay, so just to give you an example, you appreciate that you ha that Allah Taala has a reward for you in the hereafter because of a test that you're undergoing. You accept that. You ex you appreciate that Allah Taala has a wisdom for the test that He's given you, uh, and you just don't right now know it. You you accept it academically. It makes sense, but then all these thoughts keep coming in your mind of. But why, but why, but why, but why? Why did that happen? Why did it happen? If I did it differently, it wouldn't have happened to me. Why, 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 why? So that doesn't necessarily mean that you're weak in your iman. That's just a natural psychological response to injury. Okay, I'll give you an example. Uh, I think I used the example of a car accident last time. Let's say you get involved in a car accident. You're driving down the road, and uh, you know you were thinking, you left your house, and you were thinking, you know what, should I go to... Should I go to... Um, should I get gas? I need to fill up my car and gas. Should I get gas right now? Or should I wait, you know, until tomorrow? I have a half a tank right now. Should I wait till tomorrow to get gas? So you decide, you know what? I'm gonna get gas I'm gonna go right now and get gas. So you get on the road, um, you're waiting at you're waiting at uh, waiting to make a left turn and a car basically T bones you, right? And they hit you right on the driver's side. Now you lose uh, a limb, right? You lose a leg. I don't know. You suffer a terrible concussion for which you have ramifications or uh, consequences. Now that there's an emotional trauma in, uh, there's a physical trauma there's also an emotional trauma there now despite a person appreciating and understanding that Allah Ta'ala has his wisdoms for why I'm undergoing this difficulty why I was involved in this car accident I recognize that you know Allah Ta'ala is going to reward me if I'm patient through this Allah Ta'ala loves me and he has what's best in mind for me I need to be content with this you're academically it's all making sense but then these thoughts keep plaguing you in your mind of why did this happen had i just left the day before uh, had i just gotten gas the next day i wouldn't have been involved in this mess i would have had the job that i was always you know dreaming of having i would have been able to play with my kids the way i uh I just dreamed of playing with them and so these thoughts go through your mind uh there's a psychological component to it you have to accept it and uh we don't we don't measure our iman simply based off of the thoughts that go through our mind in fact we're not tested we're not held accountable based off of these thoughts that's i guess what i'm trying to get at so in these circumstances and these thoughts that keep coming back there's many reasons i mean it could be the nafs it could be shaitan playing a trick on you and it could just be the natural mind dri driving all these thoughts so when these intrusive thoughts come into your mind it, we recognize that it requires a period of healing that naturally over time, these are going to subside. Sometimes it takes three years, sometimes five years, sometimes depending on the degree of trauma, if a parent loses their child, for instance, it may be for 10 years these thoughts come into their mind. Although they fully appreciate that Allah Ta'ala is in charge, it makes sense to them academically, they respect Allah Ta'ala's power over everything, but these thoughts plague them for five or 10 years. 
but eventually these thoughts will begin to subside. Number one, while you're struggling through those thoughts, you know, there's, there's different ways to respond to it. One is to resist them and say, why am I having these? What terrible thoughts they are. But resistance often meets with more resistance, so the thoughts will just increase, actually. The other approach is to accept that, you know what, these are just thoughts. They're not harmful. They aren't harmful for me today. They aren't harmful. They're not going to hurt me. They can't harm me in the hereafter either because I know my Allah. I know what my Allah has decreed for me. So, you know what? They're just thoughts. Let them come. You know, for, for patients that suffer from chronic worry, people, I, I use patients, sorry. But pe people that suffer from chronic worry, this is a principle that's taught that they're, these are just thoughts. So, you, uh, first you apply the cognitive principle, which is that, okay, first let me make sure that I understand that my Allah Ta'ala is in charge. So, you apply that cognitive principle. Once you apply that, some of the thoughts will begin to go away because they're going to be challenged by this principle that Allah is in charge. But some thoughts are still going to come back despite you cognitively making sense of this. So then what's the approach for someone who worries chronically or someone that suffered an injury, right, an emotional injury, is that you say that, you know what, these are just thoughts and they can't harm me. And inshallah, I won't be questioned for them on the Day of Judgment. So let me just wait this thing out. Let me let, let, me let these come. You can go ahead and come. Do whatever you want. Sit there, come through my mind, let me ruminate, intrusive. It doesn't matter. They're just thoughts. They can't harm me. So that's the second way. The um, that's the second. That's that's the other thing I wanted to cover. So that's the dibab bil qada, contentment with Allah Taala's divine decree. We did not delve into predestination or fate because I don't want. Well, I don't want to go there. I'm not qualified to, to talk about that. Um, that's in fact even the Sahaba were um, reprimand, not reprimanded. Were um, uh, the Prophet Sallallahu had advised the Sahaba not even to discuss these issues. So obviously. If, there's aqidah issues that involve predestination and faith, and you should go to your local scholars or imams to help you in that regard, inshallah. This is simply with Allah Ta'ala has decreed something, what's my response to this, to this decree? So may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to internalize uh, whatever we had heard today. May Allah Ta'ala uh, make us content with whatever He has decreed for us uh, in this life. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us a tawfiq to, uh, to spend time in, uh, in the company of our mashayikh and our ulama so that we can actually bring these traits into our life moving forward.